What's going on, everybody? Welcome to episode five of Unraveled Influence podcast. My guest today was part of my open mic this past Friday. Obviously, when you hear this podcast, it'll be way past already. But the point is, Matthew Marroquin, how are you? Am I pronouncing your last name correctly? It's Marroquin for the last name. Matthew Marroquin. Marroquin. Okay, got you, got you. So how are you feeling? How are you? I'm doing pretty well today, you know, just been really busy this last week, two weeks even. So, yeah, I'm just trying to keep up. <laughs> nah, no doubt, no doubt. So once you guys, everybody hears this episode, you know, we already have done the open mic. Um, I guess I'll start with this. How do you feel? Um, what was your experience like at the open mic that we did in Bayonne, New Jersey? It was interesting. It definitely was like a bringing back to the roots of like... You know, going to some small bar, doing an open mic with, you know, just some local poets and some not so local poets who are in the area. And it's just like, oh, yeah, this is fun. This is this is interesting. You know, um, a good friend of mine, you know, shout out to Robert, like asked me and then he, you know, I know he told you to ask me to come and feature. So I thought, OK, why not? Seems like cool people. Let me just stop on by and do my little thing. So it was really cool to like come back to that because prior to that i was already um i think the day before i was like at patterson poetry festival performing for like a bunch of school students so it's like going from like performing from like a hundred school kids to like just a small little bar where the dude at the pool table told me that's a great poem after and he wasn't even a poet so that was like this is this is a different energy but i love it word word and that was our first one too ever so it was like mm-hmm. to me that was better than what i thought it was gonna be because there was some fearful things that um i was worried about but it came out way better than what i expected and to have you a part of that man because you know again the video will be up soon but um definitely it was such an amazing night it was definitely i feel like a stepping stone for unraveled influence and you got to be a part of that and that was an honor and a privilege and yes shout out to mr robert cause who couldn't make it because uh you know he, he was a little sick i don't want to talk too much about it but um I will say that if it wasn't for him, I would have never met you. So, Matthew, thank you. Um, so, I'm going to start. Um, well, I almost had to start. But so, my next question to you is How did poetry begin for you? So, I can't say I always liked writing and reading. I actually was really bad at it growing up hmm. when I was younger. Uh, turns out I have like dyslexia. Uh, <laughs> wow. That would have been like probably helpful to know. Uh, <laughs> so that's the main part of it. But when I got to around seventh grade, I started reading a lot of books. Eighth grade is like when I said, hey, mom, I want to be a writer, like a novelist or something. My mom said, that's not a real job. So I was like, well, I want to do it anyways. And I tried wow. to write a book. Yeah, I did. The book did not make it very far. It, I read some of those papers. I saved them. Um, wow but you know what but my whole thing is hey but you know what you didn't just listen you say you know no I'm gonna do it anyway and I mean that's something to be encouraged about you know because you look back now like hey even though even if it didn't go well but my whole thing is but at least I could say I did it you know I pushed myself beyond my comfort zone so that that's an awesome thing yeah definitely different freshman year is when I finally got introduced to like what a poem is but it was like the very very basics like 
maybe we talked about it for a week in my class. But other than that, we had a lot of time for recreative writing, which I loved because we could create a write on the weekly. Um, it was something my teacher implemented that we all kind of liked. And we could go up there if we wanted to and read it. Great. I loved doing that. I like writing my little stories and saying the things. And it just turned out I wrote with a lot of metaphors. Not really sure why. I just always used a lot of analogies because it just made sense for my head. So sophomore year of college came. My sister had to go early to college, like a week before orientation. Or not orientation, before move-in for everybody else because of her scholarship. So my mom and I and my older sister all went to the college. And there was a poet there. They hired a poet to perform. It was like a first-generation program, I think. And he's actually like... Well, I think he's just getting out of it, but he's going to be, uh, he was the uh, poet laureate of Dallas, Texas. So I'm like, wow, okay, cool. That, that's what he is now. But at the time, he was just, you know, a poet and professor. I saw him perform a poem. He told us this is what he does for work. He's a professor during the day, and on the weekends or when he, when he can, he gets hired out to go do poetry professionally. I saw him perform, and the crowd went wild for wow. his first piece. I look back at my mom, I'm like, that's what I want to do. Like wow. that's it. The writing life plus the performance aspect of it. That's that's everything right there. Wow. And that's how I started like right I went to his workshop after. I spit a poem there. I'd say that's like my first true poem I would say is like from that workshop. Because that was the first time I went into it thinking, this is a poem and I want to write it. Wow. You know, this is it. And I did it. I spit it. Everyone was going crazy in the crowd too. And I was like, "This is this is everything. This is everything." And from there, I just started doing it at like talent shows. And there was no real poetry venues around me, like at all. Mm. I was I was living in Iowa, like Storm Lake, Iowa, in the middle of a cornfield. You know, there's there's the nearest poetry slam, let's say, or open mic was two and a half hours away. Oh wow! So I just had to do with, with, with what I had, which was, you know, these conventions I went to where I could go to a talent show or these local things or speech, which had a poetry category in it, things like that. And that was the only like way I could even slip my poetry into an audience. And it wasn't until I'd say the pandemic hit where I really started taking off with poetry. I started attending the New Rican Poets Cafe virtual. Mm, okay. And that's when I saw poets from all around the world performing on this platform. And it really expanded my brain to what poetry could do from there. I started writing and writing and writing. And then the year after I started getting my first few paid gigs, my first few like professional entryway wow. to it. You know, I think I, I think my first one was some virtual event. I got paid like $50, I think. Hey, but that's but, awesome. Yeah. I, I spit like one poem though. So I'm like $50 for like a three minute poem. Yeah. And I started doing more slams online and things like that. And I was just more connected because the poetry community was right there. I ended up um, writing a book. Publisher found me through the online scene. I published that book. I did like a little East Coast poetry tour and everything. And then I just started expanding and decided to move out to the East Coast because that's where I realized this is where a lot of the poets who I know and respect and love are at. Wow. So I came here. 
Wow, that's awesome. So walk me through your creative process because I was I was just listening to listen everything you're saying. It was so good. Um, So I want to capture every little thing possible. So I, I'm going to dissect your brain a little bit. <laughs> but um, talk to me about your creative process, right? Because that is very interesting. Um, How does that look like for you when you're creating it? Like when you wrote your... All right, so I'll start with this. When you Tell me about when you wrote your first poem walk me through that creative process exactly and you because you did say that you wrote things and metaphors and stuff like that was it just something because it just happened naturally okay it's a metaphoric day and then i was like oh snap okay i realized i opened that way or was it something more that it was just like like walk me through that i'm very curious to know so i'm not sure if it's like the neurodivergent brain or what but like i take things both very literally but things also don't make sense for my brain very easily. So when I'm going through situations, when I'm going through things I don't understand, I try to relate it to something I do understand. Mm. So when I was writing, it just kind of came out naturally in metaphors and in, in, in all in, uh, analogies. Just naturally came out in analogies like, oh, this is like this and this is like this, you know, good simile, or this is just like that. Like, that's how it works. Um, the first poem I say, I, I was given a prompt, you know, just like a starting sentence. Um, it was actually the Red Wheelbarrow poem was the first one. Like, so much depends upon, like, and then it goes into the poem. But we were told, like, we could write whatever. Don't worry about the poem or the format or anything. Just start off with so much depends upon. And I just started going off of it. Like, so much depends wow. upon this, this, that, this, this, that, this, 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 this. And just started explaining life like wow. my life like how much because i was there for a first generation contest too so i was like i started talking about the first generation experience mm. um you know like it was in conference sorry it was like my sister's like scholarship conference i guess it was like a free conference thing for my sister but i gotta attend the things too so it was cool um yeah that's that's where a lot of it came in and but now my creation process is a little bit different i'd say Okay. I'm a little bit more, whenever I think of something where I'm like, oh, that's a line. I say something, that's a line. I'll write it down. If I hear something on the street, read something in the book, hear some other poet spit it, and I think that's a great line, I'll write it down. Wow. I usually usually put where I heard it, if I can. If I thought of it myself, I just like keep it there and let it exist. Um, And then it's just there. It's great. It's cool. So when I'm trying to write a poem, sometimes it comes to me. It's just like, oh, I'm just going to start writing. Mm, I start writing and it just flows out. Other times it's like, you know, I have no clue what I want to write. I don't even know if I want to write right now. So I just don't write. Uh, (laughs) I don't write all the time. Like it doesn't, I don't always have to be writing. I don't always have to be creating. Right, right. Sometimes I do force myself to and just just for practice and exercise of like, okay, I'm going to go into my notes app and try to write based off one of the poems especially if i'm in a i'm a creative mood i want to write mood but i didn't know what to write so i look through all my notes apps and like or my google docs or whatever and just start editing things i've already done or creating new poems and a lot of times it's a lot of these little lines i picked up over time i just start mashing them together and rewriting them so i'm like oh i love that line the actual reason i love that line is because of this 
part of it, like what they're trying to say with it. So I really want to say this, but mm. I loved how this poet said this line. So I say it in my own way, but I'm using it usually in a whole different type of poem. And then I just go from there. And I used to write for the stage more so. I majored in theater. Theatrics is like a whole thing for me. But now I'm to the point where I'm writing for myself and what I think needs to be said. Wow. And if it ends up being worthy for the stage, it ends up being worthy for the stage. There's a lot of things going on in the world where I'm just like, oh, I don't want to share this yet because it's not ready for the world yet. You know? Like, mm. Okay, so you're more like a timely type poet basically right like you're the kind of poet that if it's not the time yet then i'll wait till the right moment and the right situation presents itself so i could write that piece read that piece and present that piece and that's very interesting um so because i know you were talking about freestyle and you was talking about writing things down so does it come out like a freestyle-ish and then you write it? Or you, I know you say you um, get your notepad, you just start writing, but like, let's say if you're walking out of the street, do you like stop, okay, and then just take your notepad, start writing? Or is it just something you're walking around and all of a sudden something happens? Like, oh, snap, wait, I got to write this down before I forget. Like, is it that kind of a situation? Both. So definitely like where I, like, I say a line and I'm like, wait, that was a bar. Like, or that was a line. That was great. So then I like notes that, write it down. Sometimes I'm just like thinking. I'm like, huh, let me just write this down really quick. What's up, my thoughts? But usually, yeah, I'm just like existing daily life and something I hear, something happens, or I have a thought, or I see something that reminds me of something else. Because again, right, everything right. to me is like everything relates to something else in my life. And the ADHD kind of helps with that because I think of one thing, but then I think of like five different steps ahead. Mm, okay. Because you mentioned pigs. Let's say you mean. Let's say you mentioned you like to eat bacon, like a bacon, egg, and cheese. New right. Yorker, right? Uh, we like to eat bacon, egg, and cheese. Okay, I start thinking of bacon. Bacon comes from um, plants. Plants, the pigs. Pigs are in Iowa. Iowa has a lot of plants. Pork plants. Pork plants. My dad worked at a pork plant. Tyson pork plant overworked him, and then I just start going wow. into. Wow. Okay. You know, into like okay, let's talk about how conglomerates and corporations are evil overworking on the immigrant populations that have come to the U.S. and abuse them in a sense. And wow. then I go on and do that. Off of, all based off of, like, I just hear something about bacon. Wow. And I'm brand new with it. Like, it just, it just happens. <laughs> no, I love that. No, no, because I, um, I, I have ADHD myself as well, and I also have schizotypal personality disorder. So, um, like, everything you're saying, I get it because I'm kind of the same way too. Um, so I wanted to ask you, in your opinion, what do you think is the major difference between, let's say, a performance rather than doing a piece, right? Because um, cause from what, even when I met you and the stuff I've seen on the, online with the stuff you've done, you don't – it seems like you just perform it now. It, it, do you have like a routine of how you memorize the piece? Like, is it something like you read the piece first? I mean, let's say you have a piece you wrote already. Is it something like you re you write the piece, you look at it, you memorize it, and then perform it by yourself before you perform it outside? Like, how does that look like for you as far as the performance aspect of it? It's a little bit different for everybody. I know some poets who can memorize a piece in a day. Um, very, very rare. I do know poets who've done that. I'm the type of poet, though, again, I don't 
my memory is not great. Like, also part of the neurodivergent brain, you know? Memory is not great. It's not always there. So when I'm starting to memorize a piece, usually I use open mics, small open mics. I'm going to support my friends doing this, you know, these free little gigs, or not even gigs, they're free little, like, open mics that are existent that I go to. Um, I usually use them to workshop pieces. Mm, it's like, great. Okay. I love it, especially when, like, it's in New York City, some random little cafe, and they're having a little open mic, and I can just, like, no one really knows me, or maybe I know a couple people. Um, or even if it's like, oh, yeah, I know everyone here. They all know my performance pieces. Let me go try something new. So then I can go up there with my phone and read it off my phone and practice a piece that I wrote. And while I'm performing, I notice that I'll sometimes say words differently or say lines differently. And sometimes I like it more or sometimes right. it just flows out more naturally. So then when I sit down, I immediately go into editing and edit it. So that way it flows naturally. And I create like a performance version of it. Wow. Um, okay. So, and then from there, once I think, okay, this poem is ready. Sometimes I'll like run it through, you know, my roommate's a poet. So I'll run it through him. Or I'll run it through other poets really quick sometimes. Um, just to be like, hey, there's a part that I'm not ready with. I don't know how to like fix it up. Other times I'm like, no, this is ready. I Let's let's go for it. And I just start memorizing it. So I mm. break it up piece by piece, line by line, and try to remember each piece individually. Um, especially after this point, I usually, are, I, I've probably already done it at like, three or four open mics maybe, or maybe I've like read it out loud to myself at least three or four times. So I kind of know the flow and what, like what it's saying. Okay. Now it's just memorizing it. So I have it up somewhere, but then I read it or try to do it from memory while I'm doing dishes. Wow. Okay. While I'm in the shower, while I'm driving, um, I'll do any of those things. One of the main ways I try to memorize at first is recording it just like my voice and i'll listen back to it great i gotta go to a performance in brooklyn tomorrow actually true um <laughs> so i will record it put it on loop and listen to it for the whole hour maybe maybe not the whole hour mm. but you know i'll listen to it for like 20 minutes the three minute piece so i listen to it like five six seven eight nine ten times however many times i want to depending on how much time i want to spend right right. my own voice and my own piece but then i'll try to like talk with it first times i'll just listen and i'll try to like talk with it see if i can follow it and then from there i can go into the let me do it while i'm washing dishes and have it up over here so if i forget a piece or a part i can just like look over really quick oh that's that part yeah da 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 great and that's how i do it i'll just like be talking it throughout my own apartment or any free time I get by wow. myself. Wow, that's a good that's a good strategy too. I love that. I wow. Okay, hold on, because now I gotta really think because I was so intrigued right now with everything you just said. I was like, wow, it's interesting because Robert Kazi said he started doing that too. Like he'll just reread his piece or he'll like um if i'm not mistaken i think he said he records himself or he'll just hear himself saying it until he memorizes it i tried doing that but with me you know what it is i feel like even even when i like if i do episodes and then i i'll re-listen to the episodes and i hate the way my voice sounds on a microphone 
so I get kind of self-conscious about it. Like that's just me personally. I'm just like, oh god, is this really how I sound? But then I'm like, how does everybody else does it? Where they sound like a nice deep voice, and yes, and I'm just like, yo, I can't do that. It's just crazy to me to think. Everybody hates how they sound. Probably the first few times they listen, first few hundred times you listen. Something that really helped me with this, I did like I almost got things memorized even earlier on, like in college stuff. Performing in front of a mirror is also really good, by the way. That's another okay. good performance. You can see your body and how you're moving and see what actions and motions make sense. Again, I'm mm. a study theater, so it was like one of those things where I know a lot of the performance techniques. And I had to memorize things for plays. So this is the type of stuff I do. I took a podcasting class, though, while I was in college. Actually, a couple of them, like podcasting and all this other stuff, because I did some like a lot of it was theater, but also like digital media and stuff like that. You know, I did a lot of digital media. So I had to watch myself a lot and hear myself when editing a lot and hours worth of it, because I was like very particular how I like things done. So I heard hours and hours. After a while, you just get used to your voice. Like you okay. just you just get over it. Like now, I listen back and I'm like, oh yeah, that sounds funny still, but like whatever. Like that's how I sound. I can't change it. Right. It no. So talk to me about the because you you mentioned movement and I I thought that was very interesting. So talk to me about the movement when you perform your piece and you said about the movement. Um, I guess my question to you is. In what way does that help express the piece that you're trying to express? I, I don't know if that I don't know if that question made sense. Yeah, so movement how at least how I was taught it in theater, no movement should be a wasted movement. You shouldn't do movements just to move. Mm, that, okay. There's a lot of people who in acting and even poetry where they're just moving because they think this is what people do. And this is what feels right, probably. But they don't really... I I go a little bit more intentional with it. Like, why am I moving my hands like this? Why am I pulling out like this? Am I trying to signify something, like numbers? Like, nine times, you know, like something like that. Um, They only like it when their coffee and their yard workers are brown, but not their toys. You know, like, why am I making this movement? Um, And... How does it enhance the performance? Does there need to be movement there? So the parts where my face is better showing. So maybe I need to tone down the movements with my hands so that way they can focus more on my face. Maybe other times I want my hands to be out there because I'm trying to talk and really bring up the energy and maybe I'm numbering something and da 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 da. Or maybe I'm like over here talking about directions, talking about um um landed in the free box saying I have the same inalienable rights as those toys on the table. So I'm like pointing down because I'm, I'm pointing towards the box, imaginary box, obviously, but like box, same as those toys on the table. I'm pretending like I'm in the box now, pointing up towards the table. Like that's just like the flow of it. I'm like, oh, that makes sense. Mm, this is how okay. it goes. So it enhances the performance because, or how it enhances is just the movement helps portray the image you want the audience to perceive. Whereas mm. words can do that a lot, but people aren't always going to be able to keep up or stay in tune with all the words if you're talking for three, four, five minutes straight. Attention spans are short. Right. Like you got to yeah. do something to keep them interested. 
going. And that comes with not only movement, but fluctuations in the voice, fluctuations within the piece, fluctuations within the emotions and the rages. I see a lot of really good performers um, who might go to a poetry slam or something and go really into it deep and really get into it, but then they're stuck there the entire time and they don't switch out. Mm, okay. That energy, which is fine. Great piece. Oh my gosh. I loved it. Cool. But people are going to get lost. If not lost, they might not find it interesting after they just heard, let's say it's a slam, a minute and a half worth of that, and you still got a minute left of the same thing. Yeah, you're saying different words, but you got to, like, I, 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 at least I believe. This is what I believe. Again, it's all opinion on performance, right? right? Um, that you need to vary the type of performance you do and the type of emotions you portray, the type of facial expressions you use, the type of hand movements you use. So that way it keeps the audience engaged. If you're going to go straight into that deep, hard heart the entire time, that is like the climax of your piece. You should save that deepest, darkest, I'm reaching to my soul for the climax of your piece. This is what you're trying to portray. This is what you're really trying to hit home. Why is the rest of the piece like that? Not every single word is actually as important, you know? Mm. Uh, Again, some poems, definitely every single word, great and important. But how can you make it seem great and important when they all sound the same? Wow. Okay. Wow. You just gave me a whole lesson right now. So this is fascinating. Thank you for that. I taught performance for a very, I want to say a very long time, but I taught performance for quite a few years now so <laughs> that is no i dude one thing i tell all my guests here when you guys come on you tell me your stuff um i'm always learning right i think you should always learn like like you're a guest on on this show and, and you're telling me your lot you know you tell me your life so my performances but like i'm learning so much right now the importance of movement like i guess i didn't think it was that much of a big deal but you just proved to me no it is much of a big deal because of the point that you're trying to portray in the performance of the piece that you're trying to perform and it's like i never really looked at it like that i'm gonna be honest with you and then you said how people just move just to move in in your opinion this is really good okay so in your opinion what do you think? Uh, no, actually, not what do you think, but how can you tell when someone is moving just because they feel like they have to move? And it most of someone that's just moving, just be and it's like it's so authentic. Like, what would be a difference if you could get like, can you tell a difference between them? If, if so, how can you tell the difference? That's opinionated too. Okay, for me, I, I like look at it and think, okay, why did you do that? Like, if you can give me justifiable reasons why you did it, then maybe. But sometimes I just see people... With poetry, it's not usually not. Um, hand movements and stuff usually is, like, not as crazy when you see people moving. But one thing I do see often, even with poets who are seasoned, is, like, a sway. They uh, sway on stage. Mm-hmm. Unintentionally. The piece is just very powerful. And because of it, they're almost like rocking. And I'm like, okay, great. I get it. It's powerful. Why are you rocking? Like, that's great. It's raw. It's great if it's a new piece. But this is maybe the like the sixth time I heard the same piece. Why are you still rocking? Like, what what, what does the rocking do? 
is that the mm. best way to portray it or if you stay still and let people focus on the words now would that have more meaning into you talking about that subject wow you know? okay okay but things like that something else i also do notice like vocally sometimes like a lot of poets might <gasps> between when they're really getting into it they might be saying a really good line and <gasps> they gotta take a breath and like it's a very loud and obvious breath and i've done that plenty okay i have done it plenty but sometimes it's a distraction when it comes like especially i don't like it when i hear it when it's a very powerful part and it keeps on happening in between every other line Mm. but the piece is so good like yo if you just took out those breaths like those lines hit let it all flow don't like take a breath right just like a calm down take a breath and really say it because yeah things being raw can be moving life-changing i love the rawness of new pieces but when you see someone go out there advocating, talking, I mean, poetry is the, is the, you know, especially the performance poetry is the, the words of the people used for social change and social reform. Like, that's, that's really what it came from. Right. So if you're out here wanting to share these words in a platform where the people understand, also the people who minds you're trying to change, a.k.a. let's say the government, or an organization or a corporation so they also understand sometimes that power with the calm power with it is going to do a lot more to tell somebody this is how this is how it should be this mm. is what you're doing wrong this is what we need mm. sometimes that's a little bit more powerful than saying this is what we need this is what we got to do and, you know it's just mm. okay it's the power of it like when I see that and I see this extra emotion, it just makes me feel like this person's not fully in control of their voice mm. and body when it comes to the performance of it, which is okay. It takes time. Sometimes it's like people can't control that. That's okay. It doesn't make the piece worse. But when I think when it comes to an actual performance, let's say, again, this is just for performance. It needs to have some of that. You need to have control of what you're doing. Okay. Because now you're doing it professionally. Now you're doing it for a live audience. Now you're doing it for a big slam. Now you're doing it for these people who are going to judge on that maybe or want to pay you, let's say, especially if it's you want to do it professionally, they're going to want to pay you for a professional performance. So if you're doing this performance professionally, make sure you have control of the body because that's part, that's your instrument. You right. know, you can't, you got to learn how to use your instrument to the best of its ability to what you have and the things you have. Find that thing that makes you you and use it. Because that's that's all we get. We get this one instrument, this one body, right. and we got to use it to the most ability we can. And if, it mean, if you're not in control of your instrument fully, then you got to take time, step back, and learn how to play that instrument. So that way, you can be that yo-yo ma on stage with that cello and not be yeah. that someone who's still learning mm, okay wow yeah I, i'm again i'm learning so much the rocking part that really got me a little bit because um 
I I can't stand still for the life of me, right? So like if I'm yeah. in the same spot <laughs> for the long time, I start pace like not pacing. I'll rock back and forth or side to side or. I do this thing with my foot. It's oh my god! So see, like because I was looking at some of the videos I was editing. So when I, I there was a part I forgot which performance it was, but I was standing somewhere and I look at my I'm like oh my god, do I really do that shit? Oh my god! Like I'm talking to my wife and my wife's like, babe, can you like not do that because you're making me seasick? I'm I'm sorry, I can't control it, but like I don't realize I'm doing it, doing it until somebody points it out. Yeah, so it's no, same like, here. Same here. Trust me, it's not a bad thing. Because if I'm watching a performance, I literally cannot unless I'm absolutely captivated which is very hard for someone with ADHD even if I mm-hmm. absolutely love the poet absolutely love the piece I could still sometimes need to do something else with my yeah. hands or my body I just need to be that's why I always sit in the back because I need to be able to like move or walk or get out of there at yes. any point in time because like I just if I'm in front I will be distracted I will be yeah. distracted if I'm not actually just focus on one thing the entire time Oh my um, God! Thank you, Lord, because you understand. Yeah, and you know what it is. Yeah, I could on never put that into words. You just put mm-hmm. into words what I could never explain. So thank you for that. Oh man! <laughs> wow, because that's exactly what that is. That's why I sit in the back of the church, or if, if I'm somewhere, I try to be away from an area that's distracting so people don't see me, right? So if I'm not careful, like I was saying earlier about the camera, I was like, oh, God, I was, okay, I got to make sure I cut that. I cropped that part out because that's crazy. I was like, oh, God, I really was just um doing that. Okay. And then somebody had recorded their own version of the thing, you know, for their page. And you see me in the background behind the camera. And I'm just like, oh, my God, do I really do that? Oh, shit. Like, that's just crazy to me. So the way you broke that down was perfect. That yeah. struggle is real, though. Like it is, it is. I've spent a lot of time thinking about this. <laughs> like, oh, uh, I'm a big runner, so when I'm on runs, and I run a lot. Like, I run 40, 50, 60 miles a week. You know, mm, okay. um, I mean, I've been doing it now for like a decade. You know, so because I do it competitively. So on long runs, especially, or just like easy runs, where I'm going today, I just went seven. You know, the other days I go like, let's say long runs where I go 13 miles and I'm by myself and I'm just running. Right. Yeah, I have music, but that's a lot of freaking time to just think about things. Yeah. So a lot of my lines and a lot of my thoughts and thinking processes happen over runs where I'm just like, yep, this is something I do. Yeah. Why do I do it now? I have you know, an hour to think about it because I am doing nothing other than moving my body. Yeah. Great. <laughs> my God. Yo, dude, you're speaking my language because that's exactly how it is. Like, I, because I go bike riding sometimes too, right? So mm-hmm. I'll go that's bike riding one, yeah. or I'm listening to music, but then a thought comes to my, I'll pause the track and then I'll start talking to myself about what the fuck I'm thinking about. And then it'll be a whole conversation. So since I have these earbuds, I play it off like I'm having a conversation with someone on the phone, but I'm really not. I'm just talking gibberish to myself. I'm like, 
Oh, wait, let me write this shit down. Hold on. Let me write this Yeah, I either down. write it down or I record it on the screen. But when I'm bike riding, I do that a lot. And sometimes I feel like I got to be careful because I, I might get, I'll forget that I'm bike riding and then I almost get hit by a car or something. I was like, oh shit, whoops. <laughs> like, oh my God. So I know what, everything you just said, I know exactly what you're saying because that's me too. Like, I could be walking around the block and I'll have a whole conversation with myself. It's, oh my God. Wow. Ooh, okay, hold up, because I have to compose myself. I'm getting very excited right now because I'm learning a lot, and that is wow. Oh man! So, do you consider yourself a poet, or do you consider yourself a spoken word artist? It's all the same thing. <laughs> like, Wait, no, it's not. Okay, it's not. But like, it's I I understand how it's not interchangeable. But it depends. <laughs> I'm a poet. I just poet, you know? Right. <laughs> That's like, I'm a poet, sure. But if they want to put, I put spoken word poet on my bio. Okay. You know? That's what I put, spoken word poet. Because it just makes, it's hard to explain it to people who are not poets. Right. What I am. So that's why I put spoken word poet. So they understand, oh yeah, he's a poet, but he does this for performance. A lot of the times. Mm. That's what we're getting out of it. We're not getting a poet who does it for workshops and writes, you know, haikus all day. No, we're getting a poet who does the performance aspect. Because I don't want to put slam poet either, because that's what a lot of people think too. I'm like, yeah, but like slam poet is like for poetry slam. So like, yeah, I'm a slam poet because I do slam. But like, that's not all I do. Like, not gotcha. all my poems Lambo. So it's just like I don't. I don't even know. Like, no, no, no. That it, it, there's no right or wrong answer in my opinion. I think that's. Yeah. I love how you describe that. It makes so much sense. Um. So, so cause okay, cause that there's so many types of poetry, and I'm still trying to learn, right? Cause Allen Ginsberg, for example. A lot of things he wrote wasn't in stanzas. There was just words and paragraphs. And, and I'm just like, yo, but this guy was saying a lot of deep stuff, right? But then there's the sonnets. There's the haikus. And then you're talking about uh, spoken word and slam. So, okay, because I think this is something. I don't know if this is a dumb question or not. I don't know. I'll probably find out when you with your answer. <laughs> um spoken word slam can you describe what is the difference between like what is slam is this because slam to me i'm thinking oh you're slamming somebody or you're dissing somebody like rapping no, kind slam, of slam poetry is when you're in a poetry slam which is a competition for poets to perform pieces on stage you're given three minutes Sometimes you're given a grace period, most times you're not. Um, three minutes to perform against however many poets you want to go against. It depends on the slam. No props are allowed to be used. No music. You only can use things on your own body and your own words to create the performance. That's it. That's what a poetry slam is. Usually wow. at least two rounds, sometimes three rounds. And you go, you perform, you slam, you compete. You get graded or like judged by usually five judges in the audience top score gets dropped bottom score gets dropped they add the middle three 0.0, .0 between 10.0 and you get a score so Highest it's score like so it's like a, it's like the olympics kind of 
Sure. Yeah, it's a competition. And it's been going on for... There's a whole history about it. We don't yeah. have time here to do it. But there's a whole history behind Slam. And, you know, that's what Slam is. Okay? Mm. So if you perform ever in a Slam, you're a Slam poet. It's kind of like, oh, yeah. If you write a poem, you're a poet. It's easy as that. Wow. Um, okay. Spoken word is just another way to go about it. Because now it's like, I'm not a slam poet, but I'm not writing poetry for the page. I'm writing poetry for the stage. So that I don't know exactly the history behind where the term spoken word came from, but I don't know. It's just same thing. You're just speaking words. Like that's, right. that's it. No, 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 right. You know? But okay, but but is when you say spoken word though, do you is it the same as let's say if I'm reciting a poem like in a po like for example, if I, let's say I'm reading off a piece of paper, but I still do the performance as if I have that paper as a guide. I mean, are you still considered spoken? Is that considered spoken word? Are you it can be. Honestly, it's up to the, it's like user. <laughs> it's up to the user, up to the person who's performing. Whatever you want to deem yourself, deem it. Like that's, no, no, that's, that's why that's, I asked because I really... That. Yeah, because I'm still trying to understand these terminologies that you're talking about. Um, like I said, like the spoken word and then there's a poet. Like that's why I always ask because it's it's interesting and confusing and I, I don't want to say it's complex. It's more like people make it complex when it shouldn't be, I guess, if that makes sense. Because yeah. like spoken word originally came from the movements, basically. Okay. okay. A lot of influence. I mean... So let's say poetry in general, like slam poetry, performance poetry, spoken word, that came from the black arts era. You know, okay. it came from the beatniks who mm. like the meter with the snaps and they had the bongos and the cool hats. Ah, okay. Um, but also like the black arts movements, whether it's like New York City, Chicago, Chicago was a big one, all these other places. And they used it for political speech, you know, like mm. political speech powerful movements to really go against it i mean even latinos have it i mean um there's a poet who did it during the farm like this like civil rights movement you know civil rights movement was big time for poets but also let's say the the farm workers union cesar chavez um um gloria uh, uh what you call it um dolores huerta and all these other you know right big movement people but there was also people Randolfo Corky Gonzalez. Okay. That's what I was thinking. I don't know. He's Mexican-American boxer, poet, political organizer, activist. He was known for his, like, his poem. Like, wow. his big poem that he did. Um, Yo Soy Joaquin. That, that was the name. Okay. Yo Soy Joaquin. That was the poem. It was amazing. And he used it to for activism. Poetry has been used for activism. That's where yeah. spoken word comes from. That's where slam comes from. That's where wow. performance comes from. It comes from activism. So that's why when we're in a time where activism needs to take place, that poets are the ones who are kind of in the forefront and should be talking about these matters. Mm, I definitely Earth. agree. You know, because that's where it starts on wow. the streets, within the music, within the poets, within the artists. That's where things start moving. Wow. And then it influences everybody. Wow. You know, people I... don't think the arts is big, 
but we all watched Netflix. Mm-hmm. We all watched movies growing up. Yeah, dude, we there's all movies. Hear music. There's a movie with Tyler Perry that it was like poetically. It's a po. It's a poem based. It's based on a book. I forgot the name of the book, but he did a movie based on that poetry book, and it's like a whole thing. It's so good. I mean, my I like it. I, I know people who don't like the movie, but I love the movie. I think it was good. Jai Jackson's in that movie, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but poetry, I think, is a very underrated tool that can help us make change make a difference and, and to to provide um a source of action like to make people think because i could have a conversation with you about american culture right but if we did it in a poetic format where it's more like okay no but we're, we're sending a message in a different way in an authentic way like oh no but we're doing it as a performance but we're also doing this performance as a way to express concerns like hey look we have a voice and let's use it right and i think um it, that's important, right? Because um, one thing I said at the open mic was we need to be loud. We have a voice. We have to be loud, especially with everything that's going on right now. We need to be loud. Um, being loud poetically will make the biggest difference. And I think when we touch on things that a lot of people don't want to talk about, and I, I even I was having this conversation with my wife about even like in church, there's stuff that churches don't talk about anymore or they just don't touch on. But and I can have that conversation or preach to you about whatever. But if I did it in a poetic way, that's gives I feel like the perspective is different in a way like, oh, I'll make people think. And I think poem poetry does that. And I think that's important, um, which leads into my next question, because I've had this conversation with many people, actually. Do you think poetry is dead or do you think it needs a redirection? What do you think? In your no, honest opinion. Poetry has never died. Amen. It, it ebbs and flows, but it's never died. There's no need for a resurrection or a renaissance of any sort because it's never stopped. Ooh. Yeah, it's definitely ebbed and flow. Definitely in the 2000s where it just wasn't as big, maybe. But this stuff is happening. Yeah. These, these, these things are happening, and there's poems, poetry going on everywhere all the time i mean the new Rican just celebrated 50 years yeah they're the ones who invented snapping after a poet goes on the stage yeah because in a one-bedroom apartment where miguel agarin started the new york and poets cafe they got called the, the cops got called on them because they clapped for the poets so they wow. started snapping so they wouldn't get kicked out a lot of people think that's from the beat nicks to keep the beat yes but that was during the poem not after mm. you know mm. that's where it came from and it's definitely something that's just it's been going especially in the black and brown communities yes poetry has very much been alive it's very much been used i mean people think oh this is rap this is this this is that no poetry has still existed in those communities i've met mm. many elders over these years now even out here many elders who are poets who have been poets since they were 15 years old and now they're 70 years old still yeah. coming up and spitting on these mics. Wow. Again, it's been used for social movements. It's been used for political movements. Right. These poets exist. Again, I'm talking about the time of Cesar Chavez. Yeah, that's like, you know, MLK, Cesar Chavez. Even in the 90s where a lot of things are going on, yeah. it was a big heavy time. That's where spoken word, the, the, the term got coined was during the 90s. Mm. These people are still alive. 
Wow. <laughs> these, these events did not happen that long ago. Wow. 30 years ago. Not, so these poets are still going. These people are still saying the words need to be said. Said. It's just maybe in the mainstream media, poetry hasn't been big. I mean, Deaf Poetry Jam, like that was a whole big thing. The yeah. early 2000s show. Yeah. That went on for six seasons. You should go back a memory. Know? Wow. You said yeah. Deaf Chat. Wow. Bro. Yeah, Deaf Poetry. Like, let's talk about button poetry. Bringing yeah. to the yeah to the next level, they started in the early 2010s. Yeah, you know? I remember button poetry. Yeah, yeah, and they're still yeah they are the biggest like publishing house probably for poetry right now. Wow, like they're yeah. huge. They're huge. They focus only on poetry, and any of their people who go on their platform get millions of followers. And that's just that's in just this last decade. Now in this decade, I got into it through an online open mic in the middle of Iowa. Wow. Literally wow. in about an hour, I'm about to go and host an online open mic for the New York Post Cafe. Wow. And I am I already have a list of 20 packed and also like what 10, 15 more people who just bought tickets just to watch. Wow. On a Zoom room. Bro. Three years after the pandemic started. Wow. That's an honor, man. Wow. You know, it's just like a like this is still happening. I remember when these rooms used to have 50 people in them at all times. Wow. Sorry, we only got 30 people coming to the room now. Like, this stuff is not dying. Amen. There is, it's been existent. It still happens. It's just how it's perceived by media, the masses, the people yeah. is different than we want to say. Because it's not as easily marketable or sellable for businesses mm. due wow. to the nature of it sometimes. Yeah. Um, Music, you can get around with it because it's a bop. You can hide phrases. Right. Poetry is about the change. It's about the feeling. It's about social reform. Wow. Not Big companies are not always willing to take that kind of gamble. Mm, wow. No, thank you for that because I definitely agree with you on that because we've had conversations in the past like on this platform about is poetry dead or is does it seem like it's dead because – we don't hear about it enough, right? But then there's this other argument that, again, like you just made a whole valid point right there because it makes so much sense. And then there's this other aspect of it where at times people felt like it's not that it's dead and it's not that it's lost. Rather, it needs a redirection, right? That's another argument that exists as well. So, um, wow. So I'm just like, again, I'm learning so much from you, brother. And like, wow, I'm like... Oh my God, this is this is such an amazing conversation. Thank you so much for it. Um, so we are reaching towards the end, um, but I do want to say thank you, Matthew, for I I've learned so much from you tonight. It's not even funny. It's like wow. And um, I always ask everybody this question. I'm gonna ask you the same question in your eyes, in your opinion, and stuff like that. Once. You know, we're not in this life anymore, you know, because eventually we're going to die. We're going to move forward with our lives, you know, die or whatever. Um, yeah, poets live forever. What, wait, wait, <laughs> say it again. What? Poets live forever. What are you talking about? Yeah, no, but I mean, like, as far as physically. <laughs> <laughs> so physically, when we're not here anymore, when people hear your name, what would you like them to remember you by? And what impact would you like to leave behind? I would have liked to leave behind. I'd like to leave behind 
creations I can be proud of and my, you know, future children, future family can also be proud of, um, whether that's in poetry or not, I want to leave something for this world to exist. I want to leave the generations with the stories I've been given, you know, I, I come from parents who even though they're not technically classified as refugees, they're refugees. They escaped a war, a civil war, to come to the U.S. Right. They're refugee parents. I want to keep on telling those stories, the stories of my ancestors, the stories of my grandmother, how she fought to get here, how my parents fought to get here, how how I got here. Wow. A lot of people don't have that luxury. You know, a lot of it was lost. Natives were killed off by the Spanish. And a lot of, you know, Africans were killed during the slave trade and during wow. slavery. History has been lost for a lot of mm. people of color. And if I can gather the history that we do have so far and pass that on so they at least have something to look back on, that's going to be all the much more power to the future generations. Wow. Wow. Oh my God. See, my camera's messed up so you can't like see me, but like I'm like blushing right now because um, that's how I feel about life too. I'll be honest with you, I don't know. I mean, I'm Puerto Rican and everything, but I don't know too much about my background. I'll be honest with you. Um, But like to, to want to know what it is, to want to find out so I could understand what my roots are, to understand where my parents came from and stuff like that. I think that's very important. And it's like you said, I think history has been lost for so long. And see, because my parents grew up at a time where there was things that were not talked about. I grew up at a time where... um things were becoming like an awareness but in hispanic culture we weren't allowed to talk about it we were kind of told to shush and it wasn't until i got older and i came into this poetry community on instagram is when i started to really be more open about myself but even though that was great and all but my whole thing is i want to hear your story right that's why I created this platform. I created this podcast. I started doing more in-person open mics. It's like the first one we were a part of. And, you know, you get to be a part of that now. We look back like, yeah, I remember I went to the first one kind of thing. Same thing with, you know, I hear stories like the Puerto, you know, the New York Rican Cafe and Button Poetry. Like, I love stories like that because it starts somewhere, but it became something more bigger than what it is. And I think that's important. Even in Hispanic culture, that's very important to me because I don't know a lot. You know, and it's like this stuff that schools do not teach. There's things that nobody wants to touch on. But if we could break those barriers and break that glass ceiling and to just have the conversation that you and I are having right now, to me, that's the most fucking important thing in the world to me. Because if I die, I want people to remember the fact that, hey, someone like Matthew, someone like me, someone like Angela, someone like, you know, and such and such, someone like Robert Kazi, for example, another guy who's comes from a generation, you know, you don't have to be my father pretty much, but he's so open with himself and you don't see people mm -hmm. from his generation to talk to him to be open like that the way he is. You never see that. 
And yeah, it's that's, like, that's we need that. And we need that. We need more people like that. Because we learn from them, but we learn from each other. Like, I'm just learning so much about, like, from you today. And that already is an honor and a privilege. And I'll never forget that. So, um, thank you for just being real, being raw. Thank you for just being your authentic self, man. Because everything you said, that, that struggle is real, man. That struggle is real. And... We just like, you know, it's just, it's important. It's important, you know. So, Matthew, thank you so much for just doing this episode with me. Um, hopefully, one of these days we could do a part two because I would love to hear more about that because that's another conversation in itself and that's like very powerful to me. So, thank you so much, guys. Thank you for listening um, and stay tuned for episode number six. <laughs>